right. Title of today's message is Chapter 12, Guidelines While Dating, Spiritual Growth. Now, we've taken this little mini-series for the last three weeks now and looked at two other types of guidelines while dating. Uh, The first one was from the realm of sexual purity and just making sure that you have the proper guidelines, kind of like if you think about a barrier on a road. You don't want to go beyond your lane. You want to stay in your lane so that you don't get into any trouble. And we saw how last week, not only does it sexual purity need to have guidelines on and you need to watch yourself with, but even emotional stability. That is a must when dating because I got news for you. When you're dating, you're going to have problems with people because guess what? They're human. They're sinners just like you. And you're still a sinner too. So it's just going to be even more compounded because two sinners get together. You're going to have issues. You're going to have struggles. But I didn't want things to be all negative. I wanted to look from a positive, And that's where today kind of will help balance that out. Looking at the spiritual growth side of things. On your outline for your introduction, while much can be said about what not to do while dating, little is often said about what to do while dating. And this is where the Bible tends to be more silent on the matter due to the cultural shift within the last 120 years on what dating is typically seen as. And we talked about this before. You guys realize that your concept of dating It's only a thing that's been going on for the last 120 years, really since the 1900s approximately. Because prior to that, and even in some cases back then, it was more arranged marriages. Or they would marry based upon uh, status, or they would marry based upon uh, wealth, or, you know, again, parents. Not necessarily in arranged fashion, but still, I mean, the idea of dating where you go out to eat and get to know somebody and then decide, do I want to be in a relationship with that person? Do I want to just knock them into a brick wall? That whole thing didn't really come up until recently when you look at the grand scheme of history. And so that's pretty huge when you think about it. And that's the reason why the Bible doesn't really have a lot to say about that because, well, look at the stories of when people got married and and the circumstances surrounding that. Abraham didn't take Sarah out to the coffee shop and get to know her. That wasn't how it was, or at least the Bible is silent on those types of things. However, this does not mean that we cannot look to the Bible for answers and to the Spirit for appropriate application of those answers in our dating relationship. So the first point we have on your outline here, I put keeping your eye on the prize. It's no different in any form of ministry or any task you're doing. Even you guys right now, as you're finishing up the school year, you have final exams, you have projects and papers coming due, you still are involved in your extracurricular activities. Seniors, you guys are probably dealing with things like from a college standpoint, making sure all the paperwork's done there, your financial aid, and, and getting your grad party ready, and all the stuff that comes with that. You guys, even in the midst of that busyness, you can't... Keep your eye, or you can't take your eye off the ball. You can't keep your eye, take your eye off of the prize. And that's why Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, we talked uh, before in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's talking about, I don't just run a race to get in second place. Those of you guys who are in track right now or baseball, do you guys play to get in second place? Do you, do you play to get to be the runner-up? Do you race to be second or third in line? No. They that run a race run all so that they may win. That's what Paul was saying. The same thing should be true in your Christian walk. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And this is especially true when it comes to dating. You need to keep your eyes focused on what really matters and keep the main thing the main thing. You know, it's kind of like when when it comes to our activities that we do and the activity we just had yesterday. You know, these once a month activities, as I've explained before, it's not just for us to get together and see each other. (laughs) Because you guys realize that not only do we see each other on Sundays and Wednesdays, But you know that you can see each other at all at any point during the week, right? And so the point for these once-a-month activities is not for us just to see each other and catch up on life. There's a mission behind it. There's a reason behind it. There's a point to it. 
yesterday specifically, it was for you guys as upperclassmen, as senior hires, to reach out and love on junior hires. Do you guys remember what it was like when you were a junior hire and all the changes that were going on with you back then and how you felt like you didn't fit into the world? You didn't even know who you were, your strengths, your weaknesses, anything like that? Well, you know how good it felt, and hopefully this happened, when somebody who was older than you, who went to your church, reached out to you and put their arm around you, metaphorically, spiritually speaking, and just was a friend to you. I'm telling you guys, that means everything to them, especially for our incoming freshmen, especially for our sixth graders who they've only been in the junior high for not even a year. And they're getting used to it. There's a ministry, there's a, there's a ministry, a uh, ministering uh, uh, focus theme, if you will, behind each and every single one of these activities we do. It's not just for the sake of hanging out and having a good time. That's a good side effect of it. But we have to keep our eye on the prize at all times. So I have some questions on here for you. And uh, these questions should look very familiar to you. And so I, I think it's a good time now more than ever to look at these questions and have you guys go through and ask yourselves, okay, what are my thoughts on this? Uh, do I remember these things? Because it's going to go into the rest of today's lesson. So look at these questions on your study sheet. I mean, very simply put, it's what is the most important relationship you will ever have? What is the purpose of that relationship? And I have some scripture passages there for you to take a look at and to remind you and refresh you. And maybe you think you know the answer to it, but just humor me. Go back through the passages, reread them, and see if you can develop your answer and enhance it a little bit more. Add to more to it. And then in light of those first two questions, which should be reviewed for most of you if you've been in this class, question three, does any of the above change when you begin dating? So why don't you go ahead and take two minutes of your time and just look at that. And if you need more, just go ahead and look at the passages. You can check them out later. And then we'll reconvene here in a second. All right, I think we're about good. Everybody should be wrapping up here. Uh, question one, what is the most important relationship you will ever have? Well, it should be a personal relationship with your creator who seeks to walk with you, talk with you, and give you a special mission that only you can accomplish as you in turn give him the glory, honor, power, and worship he deserves. That's why I put Revelation 4 on there. You guys remember how in week one, we began this entire biblical relationship series by taking a look at the most the end of the most important relationship you'll ever have? And that's your relationship with Christ. When we see him face to face and our faith that we walk by ends and it becomes sight. And we drop down and we give him the glory, the honor, and the worship demonstrating to him how much he's worth to us that he so richly deserves. That's the most important relationship you will ever have. And yes, it bleeds and blends right into question two. To be fruitful, what's the purpose of that relationship? To be fruitful and populate this planet with disciples who also walk with God and talk with God to help them see that they too have been given a special mission that only they can do as they seek to give him the glory, honor, power, and worship he deserves. You guys realize that? We, we talk about this all the time here in this church. But I want to bring it in and hone the focus in on you guys as senior hires. Do you, did you ever think before that the school district that you find yourself going to and that's your field, that's your mission field, you ever stop and think that there's a reason why you were born into the family you were born into? And whatever unforeseen circumstances might have happened, whether you, you moved at one point in time or your parents got divorced and it led you now to be in the school district that you're in right now, do you ever think that God orchestrated that because all of those events that happened because he wanted you specifically in the school zone that you find yourself in? that he allowed those things to happen in your life to put you into that family, to put you into that home that you're in, to put you into that city or that township so that you can reach people using your personalities, your talents, your gifts, 
And you might be thinking to yourself, well, there's other people in this room right now that go to that school with me. Yeah, but you're different from them. God made you unique and different from the other people that go to school, that you go to school with that that are in this room right now. And you have different friends that you can reach with your personality, your talents, etc., that they can't because God made them different from you. This is critical. You see what we mean when we say keep your eye on the prize, on the bigger picture? You have a special mission because of the way that God gave you, your corks and all. You have a very special mission that only you can accomplish. Nobody else. So how are you doing with reaching out to these people? How are you doing with these? Well, really for you seniors, it's done. (laughs) But for the underclassmen in here, what are you going to do with the last two weeks that you have left? With the over the month you have left to invite people to camp. The purpose of that relationship with Christ is to bear fruit, to fill this planet, to be fruitful and multiply with sons and daughters of God who know they have a mission and they're going to give God the worship. Now, and this is where it might get a little tricky. Question three, does any of the above change when you begin dating? Well, let me ask you this, and I know we've discussed it already, but just think about this. Has the need of mankind changed? Has the gospel changed? What about the Great Commission? No, none of these things have changed. The need of man is just as great now as it was back in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. The gospel? No, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since we're still in this church age, yes, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and 2 Timothy 2 still apply to us today. But it's a little bit of a trick question. No, none of these things, the the most important relationship or the purpose of that relationship, no, it hasn't changed. But you know what has changed? If you're dating somebody else now, that must mean that, man, there's no more fruit left to be had as a single person. Now you need to combine forces and combine powers with somebody else in order to get more fruit. Isn't that what Christ said he wanted in John chapter 15? When he says, abide in me and I in you and you'll bear fruit. And then he goes on to say that the more you continue to abide in Christ, you'll bring forth more fruit. And then you get to verse eight where he says, herein is my father glorified that ye should bear much fruit. You see, there should always be those levels of growth. If you're just streamlined right now, you know what you call that in the medical field? Flatlining. If you're hooked up to an EKG and your heart's not having that that level of growth and that up and down, then you're just flatlining, you're streamlined, you're dead. Your spiritual walk will be like that too. No, you see, it should be like a step. You should be growing in your faith and then it levels out for a little bit, but then you're looking for that next hurdle and, you're, and it's the same thing with fruit bearing. You should be fruitful in your walk, but as you're growing in your walk with Christ, you develop more fruit and then much fruit. The point of when you guys start dating is that it should be, all right, you know what? So-and-so, they're all tapped out. They can't bear any more fruit from me. They are ready for this next step where I need them to be together, where I need him and her to be together to bear more fruit and much fruit. So I guess in that sense, yeah, it does change when you start dating. You should be all the more invested. You you should be furthering the gospel, not hindering it. And I'm telling you guys, it happened in my marriage. I've been open about that. I've seen it happen several times where people start dating and then they just put it in cruise control. They just kind of coast and chill and they, they get this settling down mindset of, oh, I finally found the one. I can rest from my weary travels. And they just decide to coast. And sure enough, you know what that looks like? Yeah, they'll still come out to Wednesdays and Sundays, but 
then something else gets in the way and we're like, oh, you know what? I haven't seen you. College has been killing me. Yeah, college has been killing me too. You know what? Let's just skip going to singles tonight and let's just hang out so we can catch up. You know, it's good for our relationship to catch up together. Yeah, it is. But at the expense of skipping out and Sundays or it's college career singles? Absolutely not. Banish the thought from the mind. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So in light of that, these fundamentals of your walk with Christ should transfer over into the dating realm. So you keep your eye on those three things and always remember this. And this is where this goes beyond biblical relationships and dating. This goes with your everyday walk with Christ. Then you'll be able to do the second part of your study sheet here, which is practical steps to grow together spiritually. Because that's the end goal. That's what you want to do when you're dating is grow together spiritually and not be stagnant. Not go backwards. Now understand, and I think this is a good point as any to, to mention this, especially with the last two weeks. When we're talking about guidelines, it, it, a guideline is a strong piece of advice. It's not even advice. That's even kind of a, a weak way of putting it. Uh, a guideline, it's, it's a barrier. It's a boundary line, so to speak. But understand that when it comes to these practical tips and these practical steps, you know, especially when it comes to spiritual growth, understand that nobody is saying that this is exactly what your dates should look like 100% of the time. I just want to make that absolutely clear. No one is saying that these things must be the only things you do while dating. No, these are just steps. These are all about steps of not losing sight of the bigger picture that we just covered. So use these as tips and advice. No one is saying that these points that we're going to cover, it must be the thing you do on every single date and you're in sin if you decide to go out to dinner or you're in sin if you decide to go hang out with friends or you're in sin if you decide to go to a movie. No, you still date like you would, but make sure these things are your guidelines when going into the date, just so we're clear. So point one, you guys are in Acts chapter two. Uh, Look with me in verse 42. And they, the apostles, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, rather the disciples, I should say, these disciples, these new converts. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Jump down to verse 44. And all that believed were what? Together. And had all things common. Uh, Look over to chapter 5 few pages to your right. This is what you see happening in the early church when people were getting saved left and right and their desire and their passion. Here's what got their focus. It was people. Verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Man, I got to tell you what, something that I, I can't help but think about. Well, you know what? We'll cover that here in a little bit when we get to the passage in Hebrews. But look at point one on your outline. You want a practical step to grow together spiritually so that you keep your eye on the prize while dating? Well, point one, have fellowship together centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. That's crucial. First bullet point there, either have time where you read the Bible together or have a book that you read and study through on your own and then get together and talk about it. Isaiah 34, 16 says, Seek ye out the book of the law of the Lord and read. 2 Timothy 2, 15, study. And we just saw what happened in Acts chapter 2. They, they centered their fellowship as they were breaking bread. Bread, by the way, is a picture of the word of God. The word of God and Jesus Christ himself, Jesus Christ, the living word. The word of God is compared to as food products all the time. You ever notice that? It's water in Ephesians 5, 26. It's meat in the book of Hebrews. It's bread in John chapter 6. It's milk in, I believe it's 1 Peter chapter 2 maybe. You can fact check me on that later. All throughout the Bible, it's compared to as food. And they were breaking bread, but it says over the apostles' doctrine. You get doctrine from the word of God. Their fellowship together. As new believers, it was centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a dating relationship, that needs to be key too. Because understand this. 
If the word of God is not in the center of the relationship, then something else is. If the word of God is not center and central at a church, with whatever church you go visit of your friends or your family members, then something else is. If Jesus Christ, the word of God, is not center in your dating relationship, then something else is. Or someone else is. And that's a dangerous slippery slope to go on. Next point. Pray together. Pray over the phone while you guys are talking. Man, pray through FaceTime. Heather and I never even had that. Uh, Or at least we didn't have iPhones back when we started dating. Um, But pray over FaceTime. Not that you guys can see each other. but I guess that would make it a little bit awkward. But at least, you know, you have the fellowship before and after the prayer that you can see each other's face or whatever. And pray at the end of the date. I remember... Uh, when Heather was living with her parents down in New Philly, I mean, and, and, you know, they were night owls, so I would stay over late. And plus, I mean, you have a 40-minute drive, so it was kind of hard to spend time. You wanted to get as much time as possible with each other. And there were times where we would just be out. She'd, uh, you know, be by my car, and we would just pray before I got in and made that long, arduous journey up I-77 at 2 a.m. Uh, for a 45-minute drive. But we would always end our date that way. Now... Did you notice what's not on this list? Over the phone, pray together, FaceTime, pray at the end of the date, etc. You know what I didn't put? Uh, don't pray. Or I didn't put down here praying before meals. I didn't put on here pray uh, when you're arguing or in need of prayer. I didn't put on here pray after you've messed up. You know why I didn't put these things on here? Well, it's kind of twofold. Number one, uh, it goes without saying. Obviously, these are things that you should be doing. But the second thing is that praying, maybe with the exception of the meal aspect, the second thing, these other things I mentioned about praying during or after an argument or when one of you or both of you messes up, that's called reactive praying. You know what reactive praying is? It's praying after the fact. It's praying after it already happens. Be proactive in your prayers. Everything I've had listed here about praying over the phone being in, and praying at the end of the date. You know what that is? It's intentional. Means that you go into it with that in the mindset. Meaning, yeah, why wouldn't we end our date without prayer? Why wouldn't I call her up and talk to her on the phone and see how her day's going and then pray over the phone? Yeah, does that seem weird at first? Absolutely, but guess what? You're called to be weird when you think about it. We're not supposed to look like the world or do things like the world. And hey, if it seems weird or cheesy to do something like that, yeah, that's because our flesh doesn't want to do things like that. But all the more reason to do it. Man, be proactive in your prayers. You know what it does? It causes you to watch. Check up here on the screen, Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Colossians 4.2, he continues. He says, continue in prayer and what? Watch in the same with thanksgiving. If you're proactive in your prayer life, I mean, as a single person, but even especially more so when you're dating, you'll be more vigilant to watch those attacks of the argument that's coming, to watch those attacks of the things that are going to try to get you guys to mess up. Be proactive. Have fellowship together centered around Christ. Third point, spend time with other godly couples. Uh, You know, before I jump into that, to, to give more scriptures for the, the praying together. You guys are right there in Acts chapter 5. Look, look at chapter 6, verse 4. He says, but this is where they appoint the deacons, where they're, they're associating deacon, or assigning deacons rather to make sure that there's no area of the ministry that's lacking. And they say in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer and to the ministry of the word. You know what's funny? I think if you and I, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but I think if you and I were to rewrite the Bible, 
or you know how sometimes you might think you memorize a verse and then you go to, to, to you know, just kind of quote it, you know, without really quoting it word for word. I think this would be one where it would trip us up and we would say, oh, we must give ourselves continually to the word and the prayer, almost as though prayer is the afterthought. Was that the case here? No, they have prayer listed first in this passage. Sometimes we can get so caught up in Bible, 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 Bible. We get fed a lot of Bible here. Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday main service, in some cases Sunday night. Guys Bible studies, girls Bible studies, discipleship that happens during the week. Uh, Bible studies that happen at, at school. I mean, just look at that. That's like nine right here that I just listed in a week. Oh, and are you doing your daily in the Word? There's 10 every single day, 10 times. If we had that many occurrences of prayer, what would this world look like? Do an interesting study sometime. Check out how often he talks about prayer in the Bible and then contrast it with how little of it we actually do. Prayer is huge. Prayer is huge. Now, point three, spend time with other godly couples. Flip back to chapter two. Again, the, the early days of the, the church, this is what they had in common. This is what they did. We read verses 42 and 44. Look at verses 46 and 47. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So other people were there, other couples, other, other believers did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look what the result was. The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. We want to see God tear this place apart, tear this world apart, and turn this place upside down. We've got to be together. This is where I was mentioning Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Guys, and I get it. I know that there's some extenuating situations for you guys, and I get it this time of year is chaotic. I'm not targeting anybody when I say this, but just know this. If you can come out to church or if you can come out to an activity and you still choose not to be there, then this verse is for you. You are forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And we, and you're basically saying that I don't need this group. I don't need the fellowship and camaraderie that comes with that. Well, once again, I would advise you to reread Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter, just read Acts chapter 2, 2, 5. And see the need of the early church as they were together. Man, every single time that the church was available, they were together. And I got to tell you, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if things in this country ever reverted back to how it was in the book of Acts or ever reverted back to how it was in church history where you could lose your very life just for coming here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights and it was so pressing and vexing on your soul being in the world that you needed to be at church every single day. If times like that come again, where the only safe place for us to meet is this building every single day, I wonder how less we would see of people. I wonder how many more people would be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But that's a side note. The real point I wanted to emphasize was verse 24, where he says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We talked a few weeks back when I talked about when we were looking at godly friendships and the relationships of friends, that there's three types of people that you should have as friends. Paul's, who are more disciplers. Timothy's, who are more of a disciple or some or a disciple, rather. And Barnabas's, people that you, or they're your peer group, rather. And the same thing applies with couples. When you guys start hanging out with people, you should be hanging out with older married couples, who can kind of show you, hey, you know, 
if we give you guys advice, man, here's what it looks like you guys are doing great. Here's where we see you guys might need some work on. And man, you know what? Please, by all means, don't repeat the same mistakes that me and my wife did or me and my husband did. That's provoking you in the good way to love and good works. We need that. We need that. And let me just say this, the older couples, they need that too. It's an extension of discipleship. So when you hang out with godly couples, hang out with Paul's, hang out with Timothy's. Maybe they're, maybe when you start dating, you guys have been together for a year. Maybe you're in the engagement stage. Then you'd be able to be able to disciple or reach out to a younger couple that just started dating. You say, hey man, don't make the same mistakes we did. And you could be that person provoking them. Just like in Friends. You have a Paul and you have a Timothy. And we provoke godly friendships that way. It should be the same thing with godly relationships. Man, like I've said the last two weeks, if there's ever a time for you guys that I wished every single one of you guys were dating right now, it'd be this little mini-series of guidelines while dating. Because I don't want you guys to forget these things when you actually do start dating. So save these papers, put these notes in your Bible and, you know, bookmark these podcasts to go back to when you do start dating so that this stuff becomes fresh again and you can look at it again. Because, man, we need to be with other godly couples who are going to challenge us and spur us. And last point, consistently challenge each other in your personal walk with the Lord. When you're dating, it better not be that you have it on cruise control. You know, we had our marriage conference not too uh, many weeks ago with Pastor Brian Brown, and he had mentioned to us that, uh, man, you know, (laughs) cruise control never works. And uh, cruise control works best, I think he said, when you're going downhill. When you're going uphill and you have cruise control on, you can do some damage to your car. Well, as we saw last week with that model, that train model, life is all an uphill battle. You put it on cruise control going uphill, eventually that engine's going to die out and you're going to be flying back downhill. So if it's a Christian who is putting it on cruise control, well, yeah, that number one means that you're in charge. And number two, you're going downhill. You're going down. And you need to get back on track. So when in a relationship, in a dating relationship, you need to be seeking ways that you can challenge your boyfriend, challenge your girlfriend to take their walk deeper with Christ. Maybe it's a, man, it's a struggle with a friend at school and they just don't want to be with that friend and they don't want to make things right. And you need to challenge them to do the opposite, to make it right, as awkward as it may seem. That's what you're there for. You know, Proverbs 27.17 talks about iron sharpening iron relationships. We know that. I love this passage here in 2 Samuel Chapter 10, verse 11. And it says, And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. That's that challenge. It's, hey, you need to fight your own battles, but know that I'm here for you and I'm praying for you. And if it gets to be too much, then yeah, call on me and I'll be there to help you. And you know what? I have my own battles to fight right now too. And I'm going to fight them. But if it gets to be too much for me, I'm going to call on you and I need your help. And we need to sometimes challenge each other in those sorts of things and look out for each other in those ways. So when we talk about the guideline of growing together spiritually, all four of these points have to do with the fellowship being centered around Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not saying when you go on dates with people that it needs to be from beginning to end, all four of these points. But you better make sure these parts are, these things are part of your relationship. You better make sure. Because honestly, I know more couples that none of these things are of any point of their relationship at all. They don't practice any of these things whatsoever. Again, it's a dangerous, slippery slope. So point one, have fellowship together centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. Point two, as we start to wrap this up. The next logical thing, if you're in fellowship with Christ in his word and in prayer and in fellowship, you got to do something with all of that. And that's why point two is be involved in the work of the Lord. 
Be involved in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. First subpoint: go to evangelism events and missions trips together. Go figure, not just as a shameless plug, but this Friday we have the St. Barb's Fest or uh, St. Barb's Festival uh, for evangelism. Again, six o'clock in Maslin, we're gonna be doing that. Go together in those types of events and those types of scenarios. I'm not saying that doesn't mean you can't go out to a movie or go out to dinner, but man, I'll tell you what. You go dating and go to an evangelism event, go to a harvest evangelism event, go to the mall witnessing opportunities that we have. Man, talk about fellowship centered around Christ. There's nothing better than working together and serving together and laboring together with your boyfriend or girlfriend. That's how you'll get a good idea of, man, are we a fit for this? Or, man, is God actually calling us into full-time ministry? Again, yeah, can that come through messages at camp and God's personal conviction and working on your heart through there? Yeah, but it's solidified and it is confirmed when you're out working and serving together. Not only in full-time ministry, but also, is she right for me? Is he the one that's going to lead me? That's where you'll find out. So go to evangelism events and missions trips together. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Or I'm sorry, chapter 4. This will be the last passage we turn to. Last book, I should say. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse, or, sorry, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. This is huge. You guys realize this is chapter 4, 2 Timothy, which means this is the final chapter Paul ever wrote before he lost his head. If you had one letter to write and you knew it was going to be your last one, what would you say? What advice would you give? Paul's, you got to be out preaching the word. You have to be out. And when it's not popular, you preach it like it is. And yes, preaching, it's two-thirds negative and one-third positive. <laughs> That's why I guess it's kind of funny when we look at this little mini-series of guidelines while dating. What are we talked about? Sexual purity and the troubles that come with that. Emotional stability. And how oftentimes we are instable in relationships. Those are some two negative messages. Well, here's part three, the final part of this. The exhorting, the edifying and encouraging. Hey, here's what not to do for the first two weeks. Here's what to do for this week. So be out witnessing together and on missions trips together. Man, and and as a side note, I've already said my piece on this whole idea from, you know, uh, my whole piece on dating and, and going to other churches to see, you know, hey, what's the fish in the sea like over here? Am I going to find my husband or my wife over at this church? Let me just tell you this. You want a good acid test as to what kind of a church it is? Is their preaching centered around two-thirds negative and one-third positive? Do they mention sin, repentance, hell, judgment, or is it all seeker-friendly? Is the Word of God, is fellowship centered around the Word of God? Or do they have music centered in that church or something else? That'll let you know. Because a lot of people go to churches just to have their ears tickled, to hear what they want to hear. And man, I'll tell you what, if you're looking for a boyfriend or girlfriend, they will tell you what they want to hear. You've got to be careful. You've got to be. Next, be involved in the ministry of discipleship together, one-on-one -on -one and corporately with various ministries in the church. Look at 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Again, a verse you should all have memorized from discipleship. And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Be involved. 1 Corinthians 16.15. I love this passage. I beseech you, brethren... Ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I love that passage. It's the only place in the Bible you'll find where you're called to be an addict, but to be addicted to the ministry. And understand, who here has heard of the house of Stephanus before? 
How many books of the Bible are written about them? How many times do they show up elsewhere in the scriptures? Not a whole lot. You know what that tells me? They're common people. We'll never know anything more about them until we get to heaven and get to see what is it they actually did. They're common people. These weren't the pastors and the pastor's wives, the missionaries, the missionaries' wives. No, these were common people. It's you guys. You don't have to be called in the full-time ministry in order to be addicted to what's going on here. To make it a priority that anytime solids getting together, I'm going to be there. To make it a point that anytime we have an evangelism trip, and I get it, some extenuating circumstances, they keep you from doing it. But man, I'm going to try everything in my power to make sure that that doesn't happen. To be addicted to that, to seeing the lost saved and the saved grow in discipleship. Is that not our mission statement? To be involved in that and to be so involved in it that you need more. May we never get to a point where we get done with an activity or we get done with Sunday school here and we're like, yeah, you know what? I'm good until Wednesday. Yeah, I've seen enough of those people. I'm good until Wednesday. Or then we get here on Wednesday and we're like, yeah, I can go without seeing those guys for another couple days. Man, it should be like where you have a fix. You leave here from Wednesday and like, when can we hang out next? When can I see these people next? Because I need them. When can we get together next? Because I need this accountability. I need these kind of relationships and friendships in my life. So when you're dating, be involved in discipleship together one-on-one but also corporately with various ministries in the church. What do I mean by that? VBS, children's ministry, other areas of service within the local church. And finally, hold each other accountable to be faithful in the little things. The little things pertaining to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we mean by that? Number one, discipleship tasks. Are you doing discipleship? Are you finishing your homework? Hmm. And not just 20 seconds before your discipler walks into the door of the coffee shop? Hmm. Number two, homework and extracurricular activities. I hated homework. Hated it when I was in high school. Hated projects because it kept me away from reading my Bible and studying my Bible at night. So you know what I did? I worked extra harder to get that stuff done earlier so that I could spend more time in the Bible. But you know what I didn't do? Shirk out on my responsibilities. You know why? Because we're called to be faithful in the little things. You know, the book of Colossians says that whatever thy hand findeth to do, do all heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. If you have an issue doing homework because of a problem with a teacher or just your overall disposition towards school, your problem ain't with your teacher or school. Your problem is with the Lord. Maybe you just need a change of perspective and you need to actually do things for the Lord and do homework, even something like homework and extracurricular activities for the Lord. Look at him as your coach. Look at him as your teacher and do it. What about chores and responsibilities at home? Jobs. Spending money even personal time management. You know why I'm listing all of these things? Because these are all things that are going to determine whether or not you're ready for the next thing we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, marriage. And I get it, you guys aren't ready for marriage yet, so we're not going to belabor it. We are going to end with one more message on the roles of a husband, the roles of a wife. That way you guys know what to be looking for and what's expected of you depending on which other one of those roles you fall into. But when it comes to marriage, you better have your time management down. You better not be spending ludicrous amounts of money that you don't have. You better be good at your job and not just working hard when the boss is around. You better take care of these tasks and these little things, chores around the house. You better be faithful in the little things if you want to be given much that's why Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Remember when we began keeping our eyes on the prize, we looked at Philippians 3, 14, I pressed toward the mark for the prize. Right here's the mark. 
this is what you want to be pressing towards. This is what you want to hear when you get to heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's what you want to strive towards here. I don't care if it's individually as a single person or together in a relationship, whether you're talking about your walk and your service to the Lord or a dating relationship, you want to get to heaven and see your king who gave everything of himself for you. And you want to hear him say, well done. Well done in your service to me. Well done in that relationship that you followed biblically. Well done. You know what my fear is? My fear is it's going to be instead of that, it might look something like what Christ describes this Laodicean lukewarm church age to be like in Revelation chapter 3. Can you picture that? Can you picture, can you picture seeing your king and laying eyes on him for the first time ever and he vomits or spews at the sight of your Christianity, at the sight of your walk and service, quote unquote, to him, at the sight of how you've handled biblical relationships in an unbiblical fashion? Let me just tell you this. <laughs> this just came to me. It's not in my notes. Uh, I remember when I got my first dog. I was three years old. And I remember we were driving to a, a, a faraway place. And it, it, I don't even know where it was. But I remember being three. And so it used to the long drive. I fell asleep in my car seat. And I remember waking up. And my mom said, hey, Corey, look what we got. And then just like in a movie... Like the dog popped its head out from the center console and was looking at me with its ears sticking out. And I'm like, a puppy! And then all of a sudden the dog just vomited right there all over the center console. And so I start crying because I'm thinking, this puppy doesn't love me. And just they just ruined my day. But here's the thing, case in point, case in point. That image stuck with me even right now to this moment. Where was it in my notes? And it just got brought up because I'm thinking about that day when Christ lays eyes on me. And if he were to vomit and spew at the sight of my Christianity, let me just tell you, if that happens, just like that memory of my first puppy, canine, has never left my memory bank, I remember, I can see it visually right now. Let me just tell you, if that happens to you, when you get to the mark and you've, took, you've taken your eye off the prize, let me just tell you, you will remember that sight and that image for all of eternity. And I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to me. Luke 16, 10 says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And I'm going to throw something out there and I want you guys to consider this. I'm not saying this is the reason. But if you are currently unfaithful in these little things we just talked about, discipleship tasks, homework, extracurricular activities, chores, responsibilities at homes, jobs, spending money, personal time management, if you are unfaithful in those little things now, and we just saw in Luke 16, 10, he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Do you think God is going to entrust you with something more like a relationship if you're unfaithful in these things? Now again, hear me out. I know that many of you in here, you're choosing to be single Amen to that. But for those of you who maybe you're like, no, I really, really want to be in a relationship. I don't want to be single. Maybe, just maybe, I'm not saying this is the case. You need to evaluate this yourself in your own personal walk with the Lord. Maybe the reason why you're still single 
might be because might be because there's a level or degree of unfaithfulness here in the little things. Something to consider. So let's wrap this up. Concluding point. For someone who's never been in a relationship before, it will be very easy to lose sight of these guidelines when you eventually do start dating. If that comes to that, that point, and just know this, and that's why I've told you before, save these study sheets, <laughs> bookmark these podcast episodes. If that happens, relax. It's okay. I, these are guidelines. I don't want you guys to go through these last three messages as some kind of a, a robotic religious fashion. I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at the conclusion. I put it on paper for a reason. Like your walk with Christ, you don't want anything in dating to become a duty that you just go through the motions on in a robotic fashion. You know why? That's called religion. That's what religion does. Just do this, and as long as you do this on the surface and make the external look good, who gives a rip at all about the internal if you're actually learning anything about it? That's the essence of religion. And I don't want this to be the case when you guys do start dating. Relax. They're guidelines. Know them for sure. But don't be like, okay, um, okay, so we must begin the date with prayer. And then we're going to read our Bible for seven hours. And then we will conclude the date in prayer. No, <laughs> relax. Take it easy. When you start to notice, however... When you do start to notice Christ no longer being the center of your dating relationship, be prepared to make the necessary changes to get back on track. Let's pray.